Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. At last we meet, Professor Brenner. Uh, no, this is Professor Ashton. Professor Brainard is physical chemistry. May I say happy honeymoon? You certainly made us a chat with. Same to you. You've got to let me explain what happened. Haven't you caused Miss Carlisle enough embarrassment? Now look, Come you stay on, out Betsy. Of this. Betsy, it's a sort of wedding present. We dumped the floppers. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Absent Minded Professor from 1961. The studio was Buena Vista's production, which of course was Disney's. The release date, March 16, 1961. The running time, 97 minutes, and was in black and white. The box office was a huge success. It was the fifth most popular movie of 1961, grossing $25.3 million, which is the equivalent of $220 million today. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie, guys, gives it three out of four stars. His quick little synopsis is, Fred McMurray discovers Flubber, which is flying rubber, in this Disney audience pleaser, but no one will believe him except Keenan Wynn who tries to steal the substance. A broad comedy and bright special effects make this a lot of fun. There was a sequel a few years later called Son of Flubber. It was remade in 1997 with Robin Williams, and the film was called Flubber. Now, I'm pretty sure this was the first Fred McMurray movie I watched as a kid. He really was a terrific actor because he could play any type of role. In The Absent-Minded Professor, he was so naturally likable that you couldn't help but root for him in his plight of trying to produce Flubber for the masses. And also, any Disney movie that had Keenan Wynn in it is fabulous because he always played the villain role so perfectly. Now, my dad told me a story that when he was a kid, he saw Keenan Wynn while waiting in line for a ride at Disneyland. And for some reason, my dad found it necessary to start chanting, Winnie, Winnie. And I guess Keenan Wynn's wife found it amusing and smiled at my dad. <laughs> So for the main cast, two of the four main stars appeared in The Shaggy Dog, which was the first live-action Disney film, and that had Fred McMurray and Tommy Kirk in it. Now, I covered their early careers in that episode. Between that film and The Absent-Minded Professor, McMurray appeared in three films, the most popular being The Apartment with Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon. Tommy Kirk was a Disney staple and appeared in The Swiss Family Robinson a year prior to The Absent-Minded Professor. Nancy Olsen appeared in Pollyanna the year prior to this film, but was best known for her role in Sunset Boulevard with William Holden. And the aforementioned Keenan Wynn was also becoming a Disney staple in the 60s and 70s, but was a well-known character actor early in his career appearing in numerous films. The director, Robert Stevenson. Stevenson had a long and successful career which began in the early 1930s. He exclusively directed feature films until he transitioned to television in the early 1950s. Then in the late 50s, he essentially became an exclusive director for Disney, starting with Johnny Tremaine and then Old Yeller and Darby O'Gill and the Little People with Sean Connery. 
He would go on to direct many beloved Disney live-action films like Mary Poppins and The Love Bug and Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Okay, the making of the film. So, the film was originally based on a short story written in 1943 called A Situation of Gravity by Samuel Taylor. The main character in that story was partly based on a real Princeton chemistry professor named Hubert Elias and was known as Dr. Boom because of his explosive demonstrations. Walt Disney was at one of Elias' demonstrations at the Brussels World Fair in the 1950s, and Disney told the scientist that from this demonstration he now has an idea for a movie and invited the scientist to California to give a demonstration for actor Fred McMurray, who later mimicked the scientist's mannerisms for the film. McMurray would later say that he would have never understood chemistry until his meeting with Elia. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with a blast, literally, as college chemistry professor Ned Brainerd, Fred McMurray, is lecturing a class of students. Energy takes on many forms. Example, what do we know of acoustical energy? It was uh, discovered by a famous scientist, right? Wrong. We must give full credit to an Italian tenor who one night was singing an aria in a Milano pizza parlor. You all know the story, uh, how he hit a high note and the sound waves shattered a wine glass on the other side of the room. Well, watch me and I will show you acoustical energy at work. After shattering the lens of a student in the front row, his final note shatters a beaker filled with some sort of chemical concoction, and the entire classroom fills with smoke, and we get an immediate clue as to what sort of hijinks Ned will cause during this film. Now, Ned is a lovable sort of guy, but as the title claims, his dedication to science often leaves those that care about him in limbo. For example, he's due to get married to Betsy, Nancy Olson, that night, and he's already forgotten about two past marriage attempts prior to her. However, Betsy is confident this time it will definitely happen. But Betsy also has a constant suitor in Shelby Ashton, played by Elliot Reed, who was also a professor at the rival Rutland College. Betsy works at the same college as Ned, called Medfield, and she works as a secretary to President Rufus Daggett, played by Leon Ames. Of course, Ned is working on a major experiment the night before the wedding, and we get to see all of the antiquated tubes and beakers around his makeshift garage laboratory. No, not again. Professor, bum, 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 time for you to get dressed. Just five more minutes, Mrs. Chatsworth. Just five more minutes. Heavens, what are you doing? I'm trying to solve the secrets of the universe, Mrs. Chatsworth, and failing. Failing miserably. Yeah, well, you're stopping right now. Do you know what time it is? You've been working here all afternoon. Mrs. Chatsworth, I've been working for three long months. Pardon me. I've been working on something important. Very important. More important, I suppose, than getting married. Hmm? Oh. Oh. Mrs. Chatsworth, I don't know what I'd ever do without you. Oh, go on. You're getting a wonderful girl. If you ask me, she's too good for you. Thanks, Mrs. Chatsworth. I love you, too. Now, don't you worry about a thing. I'll be in the first thing in the morning to feed the dog. Oh, what's the matter with me? Is anything wrong? What a lunkhead I am. Instead of minus, it should be plus. So, the molecular configuration of A... is almost the same as that of B. 
Therefore, if I just don't worry about A throwing off a little free hydrogen, it could stand a few degrees more centigrade. Any child knows that. Yes, but remember, I promised that dear sweet girl I'd have you there on time. Yes, Mrs. Chatsworth. And, Professor, may I say happy honeymoon? You certainly may, Mrs. Chatsworth. And the same to you. This calculation's been staring me in the face for weeks. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Right, Charlie? All right, Charlie. Cross your fingers. the explosion caused yet another snub of Betsy at the altar as he was knocked out and was later awakened by Charlie the dog, who wasn't injured in the blast. Ned has no idea he's yet again failed the show for his wedding and is more interested in what his supposed failed experiment has accidentally created. the end of that.
I'm not sure what we've got here, Charlie. But if we've got what I think we've got, we've got something. There's one way to find out. Ready? Yes. Yes, Charlie. We've got it. You see what's happening? It's not going lower and lower. It's going higher and higher. You know what that means, Charlie? It means just one thing. It's generating its own energy. You know what that means, Charlie? It means we've discovered a new kind of energy. A new kind of energy, Charlie. It's a breakthrough. A breakthrough, Charlie. Substance X. In appearance, subscribe to practical requirements of metastable compound, but whose behavior is distinctly non-classical. Hypothesis. The application of an external force triggers a molecular change, liberating energy of a type previously unknown. Well, Charlie, I suppose you think these are just rubber balls, or uh, maybe a flying rubber ball, huh? But you know what this really is? Well, of course you don't. How could you? We just discovered it. We've got to give it a name, Charlie. Let's see. Flying rubber. Flying rubber. Rubber. All right. Substance X. We dumped the flubber. So the rubber-like substance that it can essentially fly as it builds up force with every bounce is called Flubber by Ned. While today's audiences will be amused with the primitive special effects, I personally still love it, and the reactions from Charlie the dog moving his head from side to side watching the Flubber fly around, it's just terrific in the garage. Now Ned realizes he must contain the Flubber in order to make it useful for people in any sort of productive way. Interestingly enough, fans of comics, and specifically The Incredible Hulk, will be amused to know that Ned uses gamma rays in his next experiment to better control and guide the flight of the flubber. Ned's landlady appears to see him in the garage still conducting his experiments. Ned seems to think he's got five minutes before 8.30, which is the time he's supposed to marry Betsy. This is correct, except it's almost 8.30 in the morning the next day. He's done it again to Betsy. In a panic, he races to see Betsy to apologize, but to also tell her the amazing news about his creation of Flubber. He visits her at the college where she's dictating a letter for the president of the college. He tries to explain Flubber and also to apologize, but she doesn't want to hear it. Also, while this is going on, a wealthy alumni named Alonzo Hawk, played by Keenan Wynn, and his son Biff, Tommy Kirk, arrive at the office. Hawk has donated large sums to the college, and the president is attempting to get a loan from the bank Hawk runs for the campus improvements. However, like everyone else in the room, Hawk is incensed with Ned because he flunked Biff in chemistry, which means Biff can't play in the big basketball game that evening. When Ned defends his grade, that angers Hawk even further, which means he'll likely reject the potential loan for the college. Keenan Wynn was always excellent, again, as the heavy villain in these early live-action Disney films. So we go back to the film. Hawk, knowing that his son is suspended from the game, decides to put a $10,000 bet on the game. Against Medfield. That's the kind of guy he is. That night, Ned gets ready to pick up Betsy for the basketball game in his old Model T car. But he's not driving. He's flying to her house as the engine is now powered by Flubber.
girls beautifully, Charlie. We don't need these up here, do we? There, that's better, huh? Now, now watch this, Charlie. Not bad, eh, Charlie? Let's open her up and see what she'll really do. in on that certain someone, huh? Do, 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 That lovely, adorable Betsy of mine. Oh, won't she be happy, sweet Betsy of mine? When we take her flying, that Betsy of mine, she'll hug me and tell me she's not really sore. That lovely, adorable Betsy. Imagine what she'll say when she sees this, Charlie. <laughs> Was there something you wanted? Yes. I'd like to speak to Miss Carlyle, if you don't mind. I'm afraid I do, old man. Miss Carlyle and I are just leaving for the game. Ready, oh. dear? Yes, Sheldon. Betsy, before you go, I... Excuse us, please. Betsy, please come over here with me, if you don't mind. I have the most wonderful thing to show you. Ned, I am trying not to be angry. Now, please don't make a scene. I'm not... Yes, old man, haven't you caused Miss Carlyle enough embarrassment? Now, look, come you on, stay Betsy. out of this. Betsy, it's a surprise. It's a sort of wedding present. Just what every girl dreams about. <laughs> it's not the car, Betsy. It, it's what's inside the car. And I can't show it to you with him around. Now, would you excuse us? Betsy! Betsy, wait! Betsy, you know what I was telling you about this morning in the office? I mean, about my discovery? Well, I, I, I want to show you what I've done with it. It's terrific. All I want you to do is take one ride around the block with me. Just one little ride, Betsy. To... While some of the special effects definitely seem dated, the flying car does not, especially when it first takes off. Once he's flying over houses, it does seem dated, but there's an undeniable charm that I simply enjoy, way more than the effects of today and the overuse of slow motion. So Ned arrives to the game and discovers Bedfield is losing big to Rutland in the first half, and there's simply no match without Biff playing. Plus, Rutland's players are all about six inches taller than the Medfield players. 
Also, Shelby, the arrogant jerk whom Betsy went to the game with, is a professor at Rutland and takes delight in rubbing Ned's nose and how poorly the team is doing, especially without their star player that he flunked. Ned doesn't take the insults from Shelby lying down because he retorts that he's heard Rutland's players make more money than the professors. See, college sports corruption has always existed, even back in the 50s. After one particular insult by Shelby in which he says that maybe the shorter midfield players should try using elevator heels, a light bulb goes off for Ned and he decides to put his new invention to another test. Ned decides to go into the locker room and take all the players' shoes, which were all Converse Chuck Taylor All-Stars, of course, and then brings him back to his garage and irons flubber into the soles of all of the shoes. At halftime, Ned sneaks into the locker room and swaps out all of the sneakers for new flubber versions. This all just happens to work since the guys change sneakers at halftime. Yes, it's very convenient, but yes, you can suspend disbelief here, I suppose. So the second half begins, and Medfield is down 46-3. to All of a sudden, because of the new flubber shoes, the player's almost jumping out of the building to the amazement of everyone in the gym. Except, of course, Ned. And before you know it, the Rutland lead is quickly shrinking, as they can't shoot or pass without Medfield stealing the ball. And there's no way for Rowan to defend since Medfield can jump almost as high as the roof of the gym. Are you listening to me? I tell you there's some fishing going on out there. All right. What? You tell me. Well, how do I know? Something. Or what am I supposed to do? There's nothing in the rule book that says one team can't jump higher than the other. Now get back to the bench. I always loved watching these basketball scenes as a kid. No matter how ridiculous they look today, they're still super fun to watch. Midfield ends up shutting out Rutland in the second half, and they win at the buzzer 47-46, with the final shot going through the hoop, followed by the player also going through the hoop as well. (laughs) Ned tries to explain to Betsy what just happened and how his discovery led to the sudden turnaround for the team. But Shelby steps in and confronts Ned that he's just trying to take credit for the team's victory. Betsy is also annoyed at Ned still, and they leave without hearing the explanation. Shelby thinks he's got a chance with Betsy, but no matter how upset and annoyed she gets with Ned, she still loves him. Ned, deciding that he won't be pushed aside by Shelby, decides to put a scare in Shelby by using his flying car to land on top of Shelby's car as he drives away from Betsy's house. Shelby, panicked about something constantly banging on the top of his car, drives like a maniac to avoid whatever is following him. Shelby eventually gets into a head-on collision with a police car. The police think Shelby's crazy as he described an unidentified flying object that kept smashing the roof of his car. They believe he's drunk and administer a breathalyzer test on Shelby, much to the amusement of Ned, who's watching around the corner. In the meantime, Alonzo Hawk is incensed that he lost 15 grand on the basketball game, especially after how poorly Medfield played in the first half. He thinks the players must have taken some sort of pills to jump higher. While talking to his son, he opens up the back door and sees a shadow of Ned's Model T car flying in the distance. Both Alonzo and Biff can't believe it. But then Biff remembers about what Ned was talking about in class about a potential new scientific discovery. The fiendish Alonzo can only see dollar signs, as he knows Ned's invention could be worth a fortune. Alonzo and Biff visit Ned the next day at his garage in an attempt to convince Ned to try to sell the flubber to the government for a huge sum. Alonzo tries to blackmail Ned, saying that with this fortune, the college can be expanded larger than he could ever dream. If Ned says no, Hawk will shut down the college permanently. 
Ned wants nothing to do with Hawk's sleazy plans and instead tells him that he's going to try to contact the President of the United States and donate his discovery for the good of the country. Biff doesn't want the college to close, but he's also Hawk's son and convinces his father to try to steal the formula themselves before Ned can turn it over to the government. What they plan to do is swap out Ned's flubberized Model T for a regular version. So then, when Ned gives his presentation, it will be an embarrassing flop for Ned. However, as you can imagine, nobody in the government will take Ned seriously enough for him to even attempt a demonstration for them. So what will Ned do? In addition, he still loves Betsy and he wants to be with her, but she's beyond frustrated with him, as you can imagine. And how will Ned foil the nefarious plans of the Hawks? Well, it's all answered in the final 30 minutes of the film, and it's a wild and fun ride, so check it out. You won't be disappointed. All right, some fun facts. Keenan Wynn's father, Edwin, also appears in the film in a cameo later in the film, which is a great scene. And also Keenan's son, Ned, also appears, coincidentally named Ned. The film was actually nominated for three Oscars, art direction, cinematography, and special effects. At the height of the film's popularity, Time Magazine printed the Disney Special Effects Department recipe for Flubber as it was used in the film. It reads as follows. One pound of saltwater taffy, one heaping tablespoon of polyurethane foam, one cake crumbled yeast, mix till smooth, allow to rise, then pour in into a saucepan over one cup cracked rice with one cup water. Add topping of molasses, boil till lid lifts, and say corp. <laughs> Maybe we should try this. But then again, make sure nothing's in your garage because it will explode. All right, that's it. Again, I love early Disney films and especially the live action ones. And this is a lot of fun. And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.